Hey, let's pray. Gracious God, as we come now to hear from your word, may your Holy Spirit come and dwell among us that, that even as we read, as we speak, and as we listen, that we may know something more of you, of ourselves, and of the world you have called us to go forth into and proclaim your kingdom come. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Listen now for the word of the Lord from the gospel according to Luke. This is chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your way. See, I am sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse no bag, no sandals, greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the labor deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house, Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you, cure the sick who are there, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near I tell you, on that day, the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. The gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. So that greeting that I taught you, it is part of almost every interaction we have in Oman. Even when somebody comes on the elevator, there is a round of salam alaikums. You go up a floor, people get off, people get on, another round in that tiny little box of salam alaikums. A few years ago, we invited an imam over to our house for, for dinner, and he had to park a little bit away, and I saw him as he was walking forward saying something to our neighbors, and he got to me and we, we greeted each other, and he said, you live in a shady neighborhood. I said, Mustafa, why, why do you say that? He goes, they are stingy with their salams. We've moved uh, to a new neighborhood. But that was how important it was for him that my neighbors did not greet him with that salam alaikum, and it made him nervous. For us, it's hard to believe that it's been six years now since we, we packed up our family and our 10 suitcases. We couldn't quite do what Jesus said of bringing no bag, no purse. But we didn't bring much else. And we went needing to be received by the Omanis. 
We became vulnerable, not knowing what was ahead of us, trusting that we would be provided for. We came to Oman and we said, peace be with you, and our peace has rested there ever since. We have felt the abiding peace of Christ while we continue to remain in Oman. We have heard salam alaikum multiple times, and when we've said it, we've heard wa alaikum assalam from Omanis, from Emiratis, from Indians, from Sri Lankans, from Pakistanis, from Nigerians. We've eaten and drunk what they've given us. We've labored with them for peace and reconciliation, and we have learned so much in our time there. And I think now one of the things I've learned deepest is that we are guests in Oman. As much as we make our homes there, it's clear that we'll never be our country. As much as we, we live there, and we feel at home there, it will never truly be our home. But this is what we've heard, and we've heard this from Christ. We've heard his command to go and be a guest. Listen again to what Jesus says here. He says, see, I am sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no bag, no purse, no sandals, greet no one on the road, Remain in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they provide. Christ's command to those first missionaries was, become vulnerable, go and find a good host, and be a good guest. For much of my life, I've been taught how to be a good Christian host. My grandparents were the first people at Fifth Reformed Church every Sunday to greet member and guest alike. My mother taught at the alternative high school where the kids who couldn't or wouldn't be allowed in the regular schools had to come each week, and she would invite them into our homes when they were kicked out of theirs. We were taught to be a good host. And as a pastor, I would encourage my members to bring their friend on that one special Sunday a year where we put on our best faces and became the best hosts we could be, hoping that they might join us. And as important it is to be a good host, the first commission, before there was the great commission, before there was to the go out and make disciples, was this command to go out and be a vulnerable guest. They were to go everywhere that Christ himself intended to go, was going to go, was going to become present, and told them, you are the first people to go that will make my name known and my kingdom known. I think this is a command that we as a church need to reclaim. Uh, even our, our churches here in the United States, where we've become pretty good at being the host. But I think we've lost what it means to be a guest in other people's cultures, in other people's spaces, and even being a guest in other people's places of worship. I think this is a reminder that our primary role isn't to, to change people, it isn't to, to do anything other than prepare for Christ to come and do the work that Christ has claimed as his own, and to trust that the Holy Spirit will be close on our heels.
So as we think about what this move might mean, uh, moving from host to guest for a church like Heartland, I want to dig a little bit deeper into what it means to be a guest and to be a good guest. And I'll relate some of the stories of how we've experienced this in Oman. The first thing about being a guest is you don't get to set the agenda or pick the menu. As a guest, we, we don't know how our time with our host will always go. We don't know what foods will be offered. I remember early in my time, in, in 2011, I cut out all pop or soda. What is it here in Indiana? Pop, soda, pop. Okay, I cut out all pop. And so for two years, I'd given up all, all pop. And when I went to Oman, the first house we went to, they offer you something to drink at every house you go to. And the only thing they had to offer was soda, pop. And so I had a choice. Do I break my two-year pop fast, or do I be a good guest? I choked down a 7-Up. Likewise, in seminary, a professor of mine said that uh, if you don't like coffee, you better learn quick, because if a pastor, you go to um, a member's home and you don't drink their cup of coffee, uh, your ministry might not last long. In Oman, countless times, we go as guests, but I've learned if we bring this uh, agenda, if we, we, we do something that we come with our own things, the party doesn't last long, and it's not that fun of a party. I've learned that in Oman, especially Christians with agenda are at best ignored, and at worst can do some great damage. I can tell you that when Christians have an agenda to proselytize, to convert, or instigate a debate, they are quickly sniffed out and dismissed out of hand. However, when Christians come to learn, to understand, or to simply befriend, the Omani people are some of the most warm and hospitable people you will ever encounter. Yet I've also seen and heard how Christians can do some really great harm. I have a friend, he's from Kashmir, and it took him five years to tell me this story. Five years of, of friendship of us as a family spending time with him on a weekly basis. He told me a story about how he was befriended by an American couple, and how they would go hiking together, and they would eat together. He had them over to his apartment, they had them over to his, and most Americans are there on two to three year stints with oil or, or the government. And on their last day of being in Oman, they approached my friend to say goodbye and they said, before we go, we want you to become Christian. You deserve it, they said. And he was crushed because in that moment, he questioned the entire friendship and wondered, was this the only reason they hung out with me was to on their way out the door try to make me like them and, and turn my back on my culture and my family. He admitted to me five years after our friendship that for many years he was bitter and sour and wanted nothing to do with Christians and had very little good things to say about them. But after five years, he said to me, there is a church five kilometers, three miles from my home in, in India. And this summer when I go back to visit my family, I'm gonna go to that church because I need to see if the Christians there are like the Myers family. Because of the Myers family, I know that Christians are not all the same and that, and that they love me no matter who I am and what I do. And he said, I feel like you love me with the love of Jesus. 
because of the Alamana Center that now whenever he hears Muslims bad-mouthing Christians, he calls me. We go down, we have a cup of tea, and I get to share my faith with that Muslim who is discouraged about Christians. As guests, we can have no other agenda than to be hosted. The only requirement that Jesus gave of his disciples was that they find a place that agrees to host them and to live there in peace. That's it. That's all Jesus said to do. He implies then the, the second thing, that as guests, we do not get to judge our hosts. Jesus reserves judgment for himself on that day. But for us, we don't get to judge. Sure, they got to wipe the dust off their feet and protest, but they weren't there to condemn or to judge or to insult. They simply were there to say that the kingdom of God has come near. One of my favorite exercises is to bring some of our Christian guests to the Grand Mosque. The Grand Mosque in Oman is open to all people between the hours of 8 and 11. And they have an information center where people can learn about Islam. And more than once, a Christian guest of mine or someone from the, the uh, Western community comes to me and says, Justin, you must come with me to the Grand Mosque. They try to tell me that Islam is better than Christianity and we have to go argue with them. And I say, yeah, how does that feel? To be told that your religion is less or inferior. And it hits them that if it didn't work on them, why would it work on others? That judgment of, I'm better than you, rarely sits well. As a guest, this can be dangerous. If this is what you need, if you need food and water to insult your host, you wouldn't live long, not because they would kill you, but because you wouldn't have what you needed. How does it work in the US? When was the last argument you had somebody from the other side of the aisle? How did that feel? Did you win them over? In my six years experience there, judging or critiquing somebody else's deeply held beliefs is rarely productive to helping them see your side. What is productive in helping them see who you are and what you believe is not judging them, but sharing life with them in almost every way conceivable. Eating, vacationing, communal activity, all these things have allowed me to share with my Muslim friends there what I believe, what I trust to be true, that Jesus is Lord. Because in the end, if you are a good guest, you are expected to bring tidings. This is the third thing about being a guest in Oman. So you say, Salam Alaikum, Wa Alaikum Asalam. You say, Kaifalik, how are you? And then it's, Shuakbarik, what is your news? So after all these things, as a good guest, you are expected to bring news, because before the time of cell phones and radios and TVs, people in the Middle East, uh, they needed people to bring the news. It was hard to travel, and so if a traveler came, a guest came, your, your service that you got for the food and water the host gave you was bringing news of the outside world. This is what the disciples did. They would have gone and been a host, and they would have been required to tell the host what was happening. And what was happening was the kingdom of God was drawing near. That being a good guest allowed them to say this very message that Christ had given them to give, that the kingdom of God is near. In Genesis, when Abraham welcomes the visitors, those three angels, 
they bring good news of a son to come. The guests brought good news. We, as public Christians in Oman, bring good news to many of these people. My ID, my Omani, the government gives everybody an ID and they list your profession on it. And mine says priest. So one day, my family and I are traveling from Dubai, about five hours away, into Oman, and we're coming back in, and this young guard, about 20 years old, looks at my ID and he, he goes, you're a Christian? I'm like, yes. He goes, and you're living in Oman? Yes. What is a Christian doing living in Oman? And I said, well, I'm here working with your government for peace between Muslims and Christians. He goes, Christians want peace? Flabbergasted that a Christian was living in Oman wanting peace. I said, yes, we want peace. His response was, mashallah, look at what God is doing, wonderful. He couldn't believe it. His mind had been changed about Christians in that instant. Instead of knowing what he knows from our American foreign policy and our movies and TVs where they see violence and associate that with Christianity, he met a Christian that wanted peace. And then, as per procedure, he had to roll down and check the car. So we roll down the windows, and Gavin and Colin go to this young guard, Salam alaikum, to which this young guard goes, they speak Arabic? So not only was a Christian working for peace, they were learning Arabic, greeting him in their culturally appropriate way. And this kid was so excited that he kept talking with us, asking us more about what we were doing the whole time and looking in the mirror and cars are lining up. And I'm getting nervous that, you know, someone's gonna get angry. And eventually some other guard taps him on the shoulder. He looks back, kind of startled, and goes, you may go, you may go. And I heard one more time as he rolled away, Allah, wonderful. I have so many more stories like this I could tell you, but there's just one more I wanna share because it's, we're in a Reformed church, and it actually has to do with Reformed theology. So the Minister of Religious Affairs, uh, the, the government official in charge of all religion, Muslim and non-Muslim alike, I meet with them on a regular basis, and at every meeting I ask him, Sheikh Abdullah, what do you want from me? And he says, I want you to be a good Calvinist. He <laughs> knows about John Calvin. I want you to be here helping us make for a good society like the Calvinists work for a good society. I want you to be Christian, helping us, teaching your values with us among our people. Let that sink in for a second. The highest ranking government official, religious official, wants us there as Christians, teaching what we believe in Oman. The next meeting after that, I came across a copy of Calvin's Institutes in Arabic. And I gave the minister, said, here is a, a copy of our Calvin's theology in Arabic. And he opened the first page, and if you're familiar with the Institutes, if you're Calvinist enough, if you don't know anything about John Calvin, I won't hold it against uh, Brandon here. But the first page is all about how we know God. And Sheikh Abdullah is reading the first page in Arabic, his head's nodding. He goes, I'm going on vacation. Uh, I will read this on my holiday. Uh, I haven't seen him since then, so I have to brush up on Calvin over the next month, so when I go back and I meet with him, he's prepared to talk about it. I'll have it fresh in my memory. No agenda, no judgment, and then we get to bring the news that the kingdom of God is near, that Jesus is coming. I'm convinced, as a missionary, as a, as a pastor, but most importantly, as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, that we need to learn again how to be the guest. 
that we as a, a church need to learn how to go from these walls and not just welcome people here, but how do we become vulnerable like sheep among the wolves and go to our, our neighbors who we think we have something to offer to them and, and let them offer something to us. We need to make the move from doing for them and allowing them to, to do for us. And it's empowering, especially if they're migrants and they feel so powerless. It is a gift to allow them to, to serve you. What might it mean for you here in Indiana? It might mean learning that when you see a woman in a hijab, especially if you're a woman, maybe not so much if you're a man approaching an unfamiliar room, but if you're a woman and you see a woman in a hijab, a pretty visible sign they're Muslim, to say salam alaikum, you will watch their eyes brighten up. In our community in, in Michigan, where we live in the summer, we heard some Arabic, and so we said salam alaikum, and all of a sudden this, these guys' eyes widened up, and his one-year-old son, all of a sudden, without even knowing where it came up to us, to shake our hand, as you do, because that one little phrase, salam alaikum, triggered to that little Muslim boy that I was someone he could talk to. It could be that simple. It could be going to the mosque saying, teach us what you believe. We want to know more about you as our neighbors. Or going to the Hindu temple. Or being bold enough to say, um, can we eat together? And if you do, what, what kind of food can I make for you? Because they're often their diets are different. It might, be simply, uh, it might be as simple as going to a restaurant where you know a, a Muslim or a Hindu is the owner and proprietor and eating there on a regular basis. And then just one day during lunchtime saying, hey, I already ate, but I wanted to stop by and say hi. I've done that before. And it opens all kinds of, of worlds and opportunities. But at the end too, I think by doing this, we reclaim something deep in our Christian faith because at the end of the day, at the core of our faith is learning to be the guest of Jesus Christ, the guest of God in God's kingdom. And I think that if we learn to be the guests in other people's places and spaces, we'll reclaim again and learn again what it means to be a guest here, even as we are about to be a guest at Christ's table. There's a community in Iona, Scotland, and one of their community liturgies has this as the meaning of the sacrament. And this will help transition us now into a time of communion, of being the guest at Christ's table. So listen to this little thing about Christ's ministry and what this table means. He was always the guest. In the homes of Peter and Dryas, Martha and Mary, Joanna and Susanna, Jesus was always the guest. At the tables of the wealthy where he pled the case of the poor, he was always the guest. Upsetting polite company, befriending isolated people, welcoming the stranger, he was always the guest. But here at this table, he is the host. Those who wish to serve him must first be served by him. Those who want to follow him must first be fed by him. Those who would wash his feet must first let him make them clean. For this is the table where God intends us to be nourished. This is the time when Christ can make us new. So come, you who hunger and thirst for a deeper faith, a better life, a fairer world, Jesus Christ, who has sat at our tables, now invites us to be guests 
at his. We are guests. It's central to who we are as God's people. It's central to who we are as Christians. And if we're ever going to be a good host, we have to first learn to be a good guest. In the name of the one who was and who is and who is to come. Amen.